and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And happy Tuesday. Welcome to the Steve Dace Show, live and on demand on The Blaze. I am Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here. With me as well, 888-900-3393 is the number here at The Blaze. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email us. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. We've got a jam-packed program coming up today. Pop Culture Tuesday here at the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk about, I don't know that it's intentionally this, but it's probably the best anti-war film I've ever seen. Uh, And we're going to talk about it here at the bottom of the hour, uh, because I think it also has a lot of parallels for where we are culturally and domestically uh, today. Uh, Next hour, we're going to talk to a New York Times bestselling author who has wrestled with the question, you know, what if one of the things of God that are not convenient or preferable for me to believe? What if they're actually true anyway? And he's going to tell us how he wrestled with this question and ended up writing a book about how he wrestled with this question. That's coming up next hour, some fake news or not as well. But first, of course, we begin, as we always do, by getting updated on what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by the state of Virginia. Virginia's Lieutenant Governor Justin Fairfax faced allegations of the Me Too variety yesterday. He denies assaulting the accuser, but did admit to a sexual encounter. He claimed in a statement yesterday morning his accuser went to the Washington Post with the allegations and said the paper decided not to publish them after finding significant red flags. The Post pushed back on that claim, saying they found no new red flags, but decided not to publish it anyway. Knowing helps us decide. Knowing keeps us free. In other news, Brett Kavanaugh. But back to the main story. Fairfax then claimed the so-called smear was orchestrated by embattled Virginia Governor Ralph Northam. I, I don't know uh, precisely where this is coming from. I, you know, we've heard uh, different things, but but here's the thing. Uh, does anybody think it's any coincidence that on the eve uh, of potentially uh, my being elevated, that that's when this uncorroborated smear comes out? Does anybody believe that's a coincidence? Fairfax's accuser is hiring the same law firm Christine Blasey Ford hired for her allegations against Brett Kavanaugh. Bernie Sanders is being accused of racism and sexism after announcing he would be on social media reacting for the third consecutive year to the State of the Union. Problem is, people think he's upstaging Stacey Abrams, who's giving the Democratic rebuttal. In a few minutes, the United States Senate is going to have an opportunity to condemn infanticide. 100 United States senators are going to have an opportunity to unanimously say the most basic thing imaginable and that is that it's wrong to kill a little newborn baby. Every senator will have the opportunity to stand for human dignity, to stand for the belief that in this country, all of us are created equal. Because if that equality means anything, surely it means that infanticide is wrong. Democrat Patty Murray blocked Ben Sass's bill banning the murder of infants who already survived being murdered inside the womb. You having fun yet? 
Grand Canyon University, one of the largest and fastest-growing Christian universities in the country, rescinded an invitation to noted Jewish guy Ben Shapiro, citing the need for diversity and wanting to avoid offending people who disagree with Ben on immigration. Millennials never recovered from the financial crisis, and it means they're struggling to have families. But it seems like they have more than enough money for crapload of arm tattoos. The Boy Scouts, yes, that's still a thing, inaugurated its first all-girl troop recently in Washington, D.C. You still having fun? Why are Adam Levine's nipples fine for air, but 2004's wardrobe malfunction made Janet Jackson a pariah for years? That's the question some fans are asking after the Super Bowl. And finally, a legitimate reason to impeach Donald Trump. Would you let your son Barron play football? Uh, it's very, it's a very tough question. It's a very good question. If he wanted to, yes. Would I steer him that way? Uh, no, I wouldn't. Why? I wouldn't. And he actually plays a lot of soccer. He's liking soccer. And a lot of people, including me, thought soccer would probably never make it in this country, but it really is moving forward rapidly. And that's what happened while we were away. I'm always fascinated to find out which one of these montages will finally be the one that breaks you. Might be it, folks. You might sit, buckle up. You might see something special. <laughs> Nothing says America first. Quite like, as they say in soccer, let's do that soccer. Let's go play 1 0 in a shootout with some crap hole country. Come on, man. Really? <laughs> really? Are you kidding me? <laughs> Obama would have given a better answer than that. Oh, goodness! I I am just. By the way, do you know what youth sport, uh, youth sport uh, per capita leads the nation in head injuries and concussions? Do you know? It's youth actually football. my daughter's. Sport. Yeah, it's your daughter's sport. Oh, it's yeah, soccer. it's girl soccer. Yeah, girl soccer is number one. Yeah, so. Today's montage brought to you by Home Title Lock. <laughs> no, I didn't say headlock. Are you go- I might want to apply <laughs> one of those right about now. Are you going to talk about morons again? <laughs> okay. I said home title lock. A headlock is something separate and, in this case, deserved. Uh, beware. A data breach has exposed 24 million Americans to home title fraud, a crime that could cost you your home. If you've got a mortgage, a refi, or a HELOC through a major bank, this breach may put you at risk for losing every dollar of equity you've built up in your home, maybe even your home itself, because this gives scammers everything they need to steal your home's title. Uh, They forge your signature as the seller. Uh, They've got now personal information. Uh, from you through this breach that they now can verify that that indeed is you and they can refile your home under a new name, take out loans on your home as well. And maybe you don't find out until you go to take out that loan, sell that home or the bills start arriving in the mail and your bank won't protect you from this either. But home title lock will for just pennies a day, they'll put a virtual barrier around your most valuable investment, your own home. And if you want to find out for free, if your home's title has already been targeted, uh, you can find out with a free title scan and report available today to all of our family here at The Blaze at HomeTitleLock.com. That's HomeTitleLock.com. Boy, today's rundown. There's a ton to get to here. Um, and 
you know, uh, some fans are not asking about Adam Levine's nipples. I, I can, they're not. Really? They're, CNN they're, said they were. They're not. No, nobody's asking. There, there, there is literally, literally nobody. Literally, it just this is this this is just made up stuff. Okay, like literally nobody cares um, uh, about um, uh, you know uh, what uh, uh, bikini waxing technique. Uh, you know what's her face switch to because nobody cares. No, no, nobody, literally nobody cares. This stuff is just created in order to generate clicks, and usually from people like us, to, you know, so they can uh, say, "Hey, they they've offended those you know dastardly conservatives once more." Uh, nobody cares. Nobody cares. So it's a banana. What's that? It's a banana. It, it's it's a banana. Yes. In the tailpipe. Don't fall for it. Yes. I love how blocked in you are by this entire montage because you're going to segue and pretty soon you're going to say, could we talk about soccer again? It's that bad. This montage is incredible. Yeah, I know. I mean, <laughs> yes, the hate is swelling in you now. Give in to it. Give in to your anger. Yes. Feast, you locusts. Yes. Feast, one and all. Consume it all. Leave nothing to spare. Today's Democratic Party, ladies and gentlemen, a woman who lost her election, holds no office, in the press release is announced as a, quote, leader Stacey Abrams. What is she a leader of? Leader of what? She's a thought leader. It's yeah. very important. Steve. That's that's what it says in the press release. Leader is capitalized like a title. Because apparently, apparently Nikolai Carpathi already claimed potentate. So we're just going with leader. Why not dear leader? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> leader, leader Stacey Abrams, who has no who lost her election, has no job, no office, no standing. Is she verified on Twitter? Uh of course. And she is uh she is giving uh, tonight's State of the Union response for the Democrats. Meanwhile, the guy that got like 15 million votes for president last time and is a national household name, um, he's a racist for going for going on his Facebook wall and giving his own thoughts. And sexist. And Yes, sexist as well. Yes. I don't get to say this word enough these days. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, you may. Yes, you shall. Over and over again. Yes. What's your name? Yes. Your time? Yes. Aaron, your this number. was the right day to put Cambodian smoking kit yeah. on right now, because no. that's where Steve's this, at right now. This, uh, yes, that's oh, where I'm at. I, I, can, am, I am I so... I can help you. I am so zen right now. I am so zen... With Bernie Sanders being a racist, misogynistic, xenophobic, homophobe for daring, for daring to speak to the 12 million people that that wanted him to be the president of the United States on his Facebook page when a black woman no one's ever heard of is supposed to be talking instead. Yes. Feast. Yes. In fact, just take me off the screen. Just, you know, America needs this right now. Yes. This is going to be Bernie Sanders about 1030 tonight, guys, right here. All right. Smoke him if you got him, brother. Yes.
<laughs> this is the modern Democratic Party. A guy who actually has held office for 30 years and received... <laughs> That part always gets me. <laughs> yeah. Right after he was like, I know it's like he's like gobbling up the smoke. <laughs> it's like he's telling you, encore. I'm coming back around. Uh, right. Best downfall of civilization ever. <laughs> the modern Democratic Party, the guy that holds a current office, an elite office in American politics, that got about 12 million votes for president, is passed over. So that a black woman who won nothing, has nothing, and frankly, if she was Stacey Abram and white, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. If it was Saul Abram, well, actually, they're anti-Semitic now, too, so they probably wouldn't even allow a Jew in the Democratic Party at this point. Uh, So let's go with Sam Abram. Sam Abram, white guy. No one would care. He would have no voice, no audience in the Democratic Party at all. And yet they want to blow each other up on social media over this. Who am I to judge? Indeed. Um, the Washington Post. The, this ties into the whole Virginia story. We, we've, you know what? We've got to spend probably the rest of the time in this segment talking about this. Because what the hell is going on in Virginia? Who are you people? What, what is So... Essentially, Virginia's governor's race came down to the the South will rise again candidate versus the uh, swamp GOP squish who should have been given oppo research that would have literally handed him this job. But, you know, that would mean attacking Democrats and we they can't do that. that they might win. You know, uh, they're going to have to attack you uh, instead. Uh, And then you've got the intersectionality mascot for Planned Parenthood with a Me Too problem. And and then a dude who um, is essentially the island of Dr. Moreau in blackface. That's Virginia politics. Actually. That's pretty much where we live right now. Is that pretty is that not pretty much where we are right now? Yeah. Now, if you're if you don't want to adopt nationalism, you're a cuck who hates America and doesn't have what it takes because our allegedly nationalist president is promoting soccer instead of the game America invented that is the wealthiest sports league in the world. He's promoting something that Ghana is better at than us. So you've got that. You know, fake tough guy act. Uh, you've got the squishes in the swamp. Um, you know, I mean, by the way, has Mitt Romney said anything yet um, about the character of the nation, about multiple governors uh, mm. in the United States mm. and, and what they have to say about the character of the nation, you know, uh, lobbying for infanticide and, and, you know, being admitted racist. Anything from Willard on any of those fronts yet? He might be the only one who has a shot of replacing Stacey Abrams tonight post-Trump post speech. <laughs> Willard, what do you have to say? What's your rebuttal? He gives the Democrat response. Your finest moment, Todd. Yeah, the problem is he's white. White male. Are Although, sure as, a, as a former Republican, that, that may 
Where's that at? You're the intersectionality guy. Oh, you're yeah, around. Sure. You're the millennial. We don't know. We're old. So yeah. where's where is a defrocked Republican who turns on his own? Where's that on the intersectionality chart? Uh, it is. Does that, uh, that at, at least get no, you seen in contributorship, whoa, 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 right? Hey, that is at the very top of the chart for like five minutes before they start ripping you again. Yes. Yeah. Before you're guilty of uh, binders full of women and uh, vulture capitalism mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the, the, you know, Mitt Romney can't be bothered. You know, he's trying to think of what his next anti-Trump op-ed is. Um, and then, and then you look at just the absolute fake, the absolute fake that is the democratic party. I, I mean, it, it's just, Virginia is a microcosm, man, for the, the landscape of American politics. And you know, what's not being debated in any of this? What's not being debated in any of this is anything that matters. Literally nothing that matters. Not, not, nothing that sustains a civilization. Nothing that determines whether it's easier or more difficult for all of you watching us today on The Blaze or listening on the podcast and iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, etc. Nothing that would help you pay your bills. None of that. None of that. None of this matters. This is... And and it's 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 the it's the most meaningful story in the country because of its meaninglessness. Because a bunch of people, a a, a white guy, um, uh, who with a with a racist prank past, and. Uh, and, and and he supposedly is the guy that um, is uh, it, uh, he he's he's Mr. Racial Tolerance. When he'd have no problem when he supports an organization that has murdered more black people than any organization in in American history has Planned Parenthood. And his LG, who's black, he that that that's you know that's that's the number one guy. He's their first mate. He's he's their he's the intersectionality mascot for Virginia Planned Parenthood. None of this no, the, and and the way the Washington Post has handled this story. Basically, they came back at the lieutenant governor of Virginia and said, um, "We're actually guilty of a different bias than the one that you're accusing us of, sir." We we looked into the allegations. We actually didn't find any red flags. We just decided because you're a black Democrat, yep. we weren't going to run the story. So please get it straight. All right. uh, we, we, we are deeply offended at your impugning of our character. We, we're really just running cover here. We're not exonerating you at all. We are willfully looking the other way. Please get it right. Uh, we, we demand the truth because democracy dies in darkness. Everything about this is fake. Everything about this is fake. The Republican Party in Virginia is fake. They, they lost to these guys. Think about that. They, they lost to these guys. In Virginia. In Virginia. So what, I, what I'm fascinated by with this story is that it is meaningless, Todd, on every substantive level you could imagine. It doesn't tell us anything about any of these people we didn't already know. Um. And yet, the it, it's it's meaninglessness is why it is so meaningful. It it is 
the, the Washington Post, the day after they run that nauseatingly sanctimonious ad in the Super Bowl that they paid $5 million just for the spot. Who knows what Tom Hanks' voice cost and the production value was. Maybe another 10, who, who knows, $5, 10000000 million more? I don't know. They run this nauseatingly sanctimonious spot, and then the next day they're outed for the most ham-fisted, obvious, you're, you're not even trying to hide it now hackery you could possibly imagine. And then the guy they're covering for gives a reasonable explanation for why they covered for him when they investigated it and they couldn't corroborate her claims. And they respond with, well, no, that's not it at all. We just, uh, we were just trying to help you. You're a Democrat, so we didn't want to report the story. We're we're actually worse people than you're giving us credit for. It is, it, that's even, that's either cosmic irony, that timing, or it is providential trolling for all of that, for that to happen the day, for this to go down the day after they run that ad. That is, that is, that is the most cosmic irony I have maybe witnessed in my life, or that is providential trolling. But this entire episode means nothing. It, it won't, it won't help us to finally, after 18 years, of, uh, secure Afghanistan. It won't help us, help us to finally secure our own borders. It won't raise your wages. It won't, it won't existentially determine anything that matters to any of you watching. And yet it's a story we can't turn away from because it's, it's where we live. It's who we are. I have been struggling to get into, to even start the final season of... Um, Oh, what's it called on Netflix and Kevin Spacey? House got, of Cards. House of Cards, oh, yeah. thank you. I've been struggling. <clears throat> this is just, just, just to show how out of sight, out of mind it is. I, mean, I used to pick that show up when, the day or two after it, it came out. I just haven't been able to, I haven't, I haven't found the will to start it. It has nothing to do with oh. Kevin Spacey not being on there. I'm just... Um, you watch these well, things yes. to get away. Yeah, uh, yes, what, what are they going to do? Yeah. When the show first started, we were like, you know, we, this is just an exaggeration of where we're at. Where we're at is an exaggeration of House of Cards storylines. Yeah. It's, it's banal. Now, it's, to me, now it's just it's all the skin of Max, but like none of the biting social commentary. So now it's just, it's just obscene. It's just smut. It doesn't have anything smart to tell you. You know what I'm saying? Because we're, we, we we're, we're, we're well past like all of their storylines, with the exception of uh, you know, uh, some reporterette getting thrown in front of a train. We have already eclipsed the story lines for house of cards this is this is that's what's happening in virginia right now all of this makes me think about that one episode you did quite some time ago early in the trump presidency uh when you did you talk about the show all the time but you did a whole show basically as my job is to be a reviewer of fictional content do you remember that show mm-hmm. you did i mean that's that's what i'm thinking of how many right parallels like, of what was happening on house of cards were actually going well, on in real what, world and yeah. you're like what what could they give us next what's the next storyline twist yep. it is um it, which is what a soap opera is i mean those soap operas 
nothing ever goes on. Rarely does it. And then every once in a while, the, the one character dies and comes back from the dead. And they have to do that every once in a while to just get you locked back in for another year of the banal happening over and over and over again. I mean, that's there should be a referendum on the books right quick in Virginia just to throw everybody out and do a full-fledged um uh national review uh founder who's william f buckley just um the random people from the phone book it, it's infinitely better than this farce yeah and what's really funny is that like three months ago we were st- or at least it feels like three months ago uh when uh, governor northam and uh delegate tran were making their comments about uh late term third trimester abortions and infanticide mm-hmm. um it was very very in the early stages starting to actually have a substantive conversation actually they they gave us a gift in our lap to be able to um start to force start to force a conversation, start to force an argument that they don't want to have. You started to see that. I put that video of Nancy Pelosi yesterday asking, uh, being asked about uh, Northam's comments, and there were a few other um, congressmen and women who were asked about Northam's comments and infanticide, and it was the same, d- Democrats, same thing every time. Oh, I don't know what he's talking about. I didn't hear those comments. It's completely meaningless. I'm not saying necessarily it certainly seems, and I wouldn't put it past him, and I don't want to... S- step too much on next uh next hour with fake news or not but it's just when we are so susceptible to being led astray and to be uh like the the dog from up squirrel when we are so susceptible to that when we are given gifts just plopped in our laps to be able to force the other side to have arguments, real existential arguments. That was a real argument that was starting last week and that we were just kicking butt on, I thought, at least as much as we can. Mm-hmm. Um, now it's all about uh, now it's all about the governor's a racist and the lieutenant governor's, governor's a me too. Uh, and the I, lieutenant governor is implicating the yeah, governor, and, they, and now now they're now they think it's and, somebody else, and, and it's an inside job. And before yes. and before the day is up, guys, we're going to be talking about um, Trump wants to sign, uh, you know, an executive order, a national emergency to build a wall, and we'll forget all about in less than a week. We'll forget all, all about everything that happened last week with a real existential issue. And yes, the wall is re- real and existential as well. But life, as far as I think our priorities go, goes above that issue. It's just frustrating watching this because we fall for it every time. Um, and we, and I'm saying I, it's it's what everybody's talking about now. And yes, there are some illustrations, like Steve said, the most meaningful part about this is its meaninglessness, um, but that's what we're that's what we're discussing. We we can't force the issue even when it's plopped in our lap for us. Let me tee that. I have to tee this one up for you because th- this whole situation in Virginia is the equivalent uh, in Pulp Fiction. Uh, where John Travolta's character accidentally, accidentally shoots Marvin in the face. And, <laughs> and they have to bring in a cleaner to clean it up. So they yes. bring up a competent person like Harvey Keitel. What does it say about the cleaner they're bringing up are the attorneys for Blasey Ford? I are know. you kidding me? I, I, that, yeah, that's why, you know what? <laughs> Feast. Yes. Feast. Consume it all. It's all yours. What if I'm not hungry? All of this is for you. <laughs> we give it back to you, the people. Feast. 
We'll be over here with endless streams of Tubbo corn. Don't mind us. Don't mind us. Not our fight. We are mere, mere onlookers. Mere, we are mere spectators here. And, oh, yes. We will be spectating. Yes, we will. So, by all means. I think you guys should fight. Yes. All the way to the bitter end. Yes. Um, it just gets dumber. I, I don't know what to say, Todd. I, I, I've been meaning to go back and watch, rewatch, uh, rewatch Idiocracy. I can't do that either. The same reason that I just feel like I've evolved beyond House of Cards. It's not sensationalistic to me anymore. You know, now it's 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 contrived. You know, um, that's the same thing. Uh, I got my law degree at Costco. Yeah, it's hard to get in there, but my dad pulled some strings. Hey, if you're thinking of buying or selling a home this year, realestateagentsitrust.com is a company you want to check out. Glenn Beck and some of his friends started this a few years ago because they were frustrated by real estate agents that talk a good game but then don't back it up when it counts the most. And what sets this uh, service apart from your average real estate uh, agent referral is those are often done trying to line up customers for the agents. In this case, you, the customer, are empowered. The agents are vetted. Uh, and it's always a good sign. Well, mo- most of the time, it's a good sign. Every now and then, maybe somebody sneaks through the cracks. But most of the time, it's a good sign whenever anybody voluntarily shows up to be vetted for something in any industry, any walk of life. When they say, hey, I'm happy to be scrutinized, that, that usually is at least a, a good indicator that they're on the up and up. They think they can get the job done and they've got nothing to hide. So that's another reason why you want to check out the real estate agents that have said, yes, you may absolutely verify me, scrutinize me here so that I can be a part of realestateagentsitrust.com. If you're buying or selling a home this year or you're doing the daily double, we are selling one home and buying another, whichever the situation is. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the website for you. Buy or sell for fast and for the right price with the real estate agents at realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, let's get to it. Uh, this week's Pop Culture Tuesday. And, uh, you know, uh, I've been making references recently and we had one of our uh, one of our viewers, listeners ask us here at The Blaze for me to clarify more about what I meant that 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 it, stating my fear is America is approaching its Archduke Ferdinand moment, and that's a World War One reference. And I, I went into some context about that last week. If you missed that episode, definitely check it out here at the Blaze or uh, on your podcast archive of choice. And we'll probably delve into some of that here in this conversation as well, because we're going to talk about Peter Jackson's latest film, and. This is the first good movie Peter Jackson's made eh, in about 15 years. What was that 2003, 2004, Return of the King came out? Mm, sounds, has it been that long? Yeah, I think it's been that long. Whoa. Yeah. I think, it was, I think it was Christmas of 2003 when it came out. So now we're talking way ahead of its time. 15 and a half years, 16 years. Um, and this, uh, his, his, this movie is called They Shall Not Grow Old. 
And uh, it's it's an incredible documentary. Uh, if uh, if it had come to our town prior to me unveiling my uh, top ten of 2018, it was it's been released in select cities piecemeal for the last month or so, uh, or since about Christmas actually. Uh, if if this had come out to Des Moines and I had had a chance to see it uh, before I unveiled my top ten list of 2018, it absolutely would have made the list. Um, it's an incredible piece of filmmaking. Uh, Peter Jackson does an introduction at the beginning of the film and, and talks about, uh, you know, the, the war Memorial council there in the UK came to him about five years ago, actually, um, uh, with the hundredth anniversary of the advent of world war one. And they were hoping that if they gave him enough time, he could have this out for 2018 on the hundredth anniversary of arms distance day, the end of world war one. And this is the actual footage in the film. And there's a certain um, Wizard of Oz quality to it. Uh, The movie begins with the film you see in a very little box formatted for uh, the technology of the era. Uh, And and the the filming looks pretty worn. And what accompanies it is real-time audio archived interviews with the soldiers that were there on the Western Front. Uh, during the war. And then about 20 minutes into the film, just like the famous, one of the great scenes in all of cinema history, where Dorothy opens the door to Oz and walks through and the screen expands and goes full color, which even watching that now and, and, you know, with my kids nowadays, with the technology and everything we have available now, that is still a striking scene. I, I can't even imagine what that looked like when people saw that in 1938 in real time. There, that, there's a moment where this movie makes that same transition and, and the very modern looking film that you see in its trailer, it then evolves and morphs into that. And what happens is when, when, the, when they talk about the effort on the home front to recruit for the war and what led to the start of the war, it stays in this very small box on the screen. When they arrive at the front, and you're there with the soldiers as the war is taking place. That is now suddenly when the whole screen comes alive. And the technology that they used to make uh, this, this film palatable to the 21st century viewer um, is in full effect. We ended up, uh, my wife and I, we, we didn't intend to do this. We just bought tickets for the screening that fit into our schedule Saturday night and ended up being the 3D one, actually. And... It, 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 I wouldn't say it made you feel full immersive like a you know a really good 3D movie did, but you definitely felt like um, the the contours and the layers of being there were even more striking. So just as a piece of filmmaking, if you're a movie buff, I mean it is you've never seen anything like it. You would not believe this footage is is a hundred years old. You wouldn't believe it. But I think what's even more powerful is the story that it tells. And I don't know, I don't think the movie intended to do this, actually. Um, but it's a pretty powerful anti-war film. What makes it a powerful anti-war film is the bookend, the bookend conversations about what led up to it 
and what it was like at the end. And when, when, you know, I don't know if any of you follow Jesse Kelly or others on Twitter. And with the Senate voting to say, we're going to basically stay in Afghanistan for Evs. You know, these are veterans talking about friends of theirs that are on their seventh, eighth, ninth deployment to the Middle East. And it is so analogous to the situation we have going on right now. And the point I made with what Europe was like prior to the start of World War I to what American culture was like, I didn't have a clue the movie was going to do this. It made this exact same point. In fact, the movie opens up, there is a friendly, not soccer, real sport, rugby. Uh, there is a friendly between the uh, Brits and the Germans. And they're sitting there having a go, enjoying each other's company. They've done this a million times. You know, and all of a sudden, literally in the middle of this rugby friendly, Parliament declares war on Germany, and uh, and you know a newsboy comes essentially running into the sporting event, extra literally like a scene out of a movie, extra extra, Britain declares war, and they all stop, and the, and one of the guys who played in this rugby event says we all stopped and we weren't sure what to do. These are our friends. We were just playing with them an hour ago. We weren't sure. Are we, we supposed to kill them? Are we supposed to, <laughs> are we supposed to uh, stop the game? What should we do? And then he goes, but, you know, being, you know, uh, English gentlemen, we decided the gentlemanly thing to do was to go ahead and finish the match. And then we'd figure it out afterwards. <laughs> I mean, it is surreal. The streets of London are filled with commuters. They're showing what was going on in London the day that the war was declared. And this isn't a civilization digging out of an invasion rubble. They're, they're, it's like there's not a war happening. People are just you know going off to work, doing their thing, going to the theater, going to the market. Like it's just not real. Um, the soldiers talk about how Many of them wanted to go because they just thought this would be a lot of fun. They were bored. All kinds of men signed up to go. They had no idea what the issues with Germany were. No clue what the issues were. This isn't World War II now. Okay, this is World War I. This is, as I told you last week, this is essentially members. This is Bobby and JR deciding they're going to literally kill each other over Ewing Oil. And like the people in the shipping and packing department... The guys driving the, the tanker trucks are the ones that have to go out there and die because Bobby and JR can't figure it out. That's literally what's going on. You know, and women are baking cakes and stuff. Hey, congratulations on going off to war. It's great. Yeah, this is the manly thing to do. No one has any clue what the point of any of this is. And then they get out and they talk about how fun it was to play the war games and go to boot camp and get into shape. And a lot of these guys had lived pretty sedentary, you know, and uh, except for farm work. And so they were this was a lot of fun to them. And then they get out to France where most of the war was fought. And we watch these same men now. And we watch as their teeth rot out. We watch um, as they walk through mustard gas. You walk through the gas with them. And again, they still have no idea what any of this is about. 
I, they, they don't have a clue. They don't know. They just knew that that and and in one of the scenes, there is a a rare detente, sort of like the story around World War One of the Christmas Day detente with the Brits and the Germans. And there's a rare detente in the trenches, and they end up they have some German soldiers that they captured, and so they bring them into the and they're hanging out, smoking cigarettes, and you know. And the German soldiers are like, hey, man, we thought you guys hated the French. We have no idea why you're fighting us. Have, didn't you guys fight the French for like 300 years or something? We, do, and they're literally, they're sitting there talking to each other. They have no idea why they're at war. They, they don't know. They just know it's what they're supposed to do for nationalistic fervor. 30 million are dying. It's the, it's the, it's the advent of modern warfare, air war, gas, Machine guns all being used en masse for the first time in human history. And you're just watching guys that are shaven because they got to be fine British gents. So they have to make sure that they're clean shaven at all times. So they're out there literally in the trenches shaving in a broken mirror. And you watch the guy next to him. The bullet goes through his helmet from a German sniper and he's done, out, gone, dead. Got to wheel him out. You watch guys have to, on, on large benches of latrines using the restroom, and the latrine just breaks, and they, they, and they you know, fall in the dung. Um, the food that they ate, the lack of sanitary conditions, and the entire time these men can't tell you what this was about. They don't know. They get back home at the end, and this is like Vietnam for British veterans. No parades. Outside of Armed Resistance Day. Uh, there were, they show there were lots of posters. Don't hire vets. We don't want those people here. They couldn't get their jobs back. This is 1918, guys. <laughs> These are the salad days. And I, I'm not doing this justice. Okay? You, you need to see this. It is, um, it's why in the Christian tradition, um, we have just war theory. And that without meeting that threshold, it's just the, the human toll, the cost is not justifiable on any level. It's, um, it's powerful to watch. It is so similar to the culture war we're having right now. We just talked about Virginia is dominating every every headline, and it means nothing. It means nothing. The average the average Austrian, how was their life going to change because the Archduke Ferdinand's nephew got assassinated? How was it going to change the average Austrian? Minimally, Min, n- not, at not at all. Not at all. The average German, same. Average Frenchman, same. Average Irishman, again. Yeah. No difference. But over 30 million of them died. And think of think of today's mass weapons of mass destruction in their infancy, but without any of the sort of sanitary um, sanitation technology that we have today. So even though they couldn't create mushroom clouds, 
the 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 lack of sanitation technology that we have at our disposal today, one you know one vat of mustard gas essentially created the kind of devastation that uh, dropping a Moab would, because they just because and it, because even though it didn't kill them as instantly, the long term effects of their inability to fight the carnage, the disease, the infections that went around, how many of these people, these men didn't even die, even fighting just because of lack of sanitary conditions, the way that they were called to live for years, for years. It is incredible to watch this. They describe one of the bloodiest battles of World War I, a lot of it fought hand-to-hand with bayonets. And again, they, they don't know really why they did this. They just knew that to go home, they had to kill those guys. No real existential effort mounted here. You kind of come out of this wondering in a way, I, as we were leaving, I said to Amy, I'm like, I, I can't help but wonder if the world had been better off if the, the Germans had won. I mean, this gave birth to the conditions that led to arguably the worst embodiment of evil in modern human history and the events that unfolded in World War II. But I can't recommend it highly enough. I do think it deserves to be seen in a theater if it comes to your town. This is not a good time at the movies. I want to warn you, all right? No happy endings here. And the the end is the most depressing when they come home to a lack of a happy ending. They come home to a lack of heroism. And you know why? Let me explain why. I loved Sarah Michelle Gellar's Buffy the Vampire Slayer television show. Love that show. My favorite episode is Buffy's Senior Prom. And see, the people of this town live on a hellmouth, and they've been in self-denial about it all these years. And so they actually resent the hero, the vampire slayer. They resent her because her acts of heroism bring to light the evil they would prefer to not acknowledge exists and just keep lying to each other. And on her prom night, um, she ends up missing it because there's a pack of werewolves that have, been, that have come out of hell that she's got to defend the school against. And finally, after four years of treating her like an outcast and ignoring all of the lives she saved, finally at her senior prom, her schoolmates finally acknowledge her heroism. That's what I believe happened here. These boys coming home with no teeth, all the, the loss of limbs and everything else, reminded their home people that of their, their Pleasant Valley Sundays were fake. There was an actual war going on, and they didn't want to be reminded of that. They shall not grow old. I would highly, highly recommend it. If you're thinking of replacing your carpets due to pet stains and odors, you must try Genesis 950 before you consider replacing them. Try Genesis 950. It's an amazing pet stain and odor remover with water. Genesis 950 breaks down the bonds of stains and odors so they are gone for good. It's antibacterial component, removes pet stains and odors from carpet and padding. It can be used in a carpet cleaning machine as well. And it's green, so it's safe to use for families and pets. If you're tired of pet cleaners that don't work, it's time to buy Genesis 950. One gallon 
of industrial strength Genesis 950 can make up to seven gallons of cleaner. A larger ratio may be required if you've got old stains and odors that are kind of embedded in there a longer time. And Genesis 950, not just for pet stains, it can be used to clean your entire house. Genesis 950, you can order a gallon direct at Genesis950.com. You'll receive a free spray bottle and a discount using code BLAZE when you do. Genesis950.com. That's Genesis950.com. When we come back, what if the stuff God says we don't want to believe is true anyway? We'll talk to an author who wrestled with that question next. And we are back here live and on demand on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. 888-900-3393 is the number. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. Last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, this week's edition of Fake News or Not later on uh, as well. We'll have today's Truth Bomb. Hey, when was the last time you had your ears professionally cleaned? Have you ever? Do you have uh, ear pain, itchy ears, that plugged up feeling? Maybe you're constantly asking people to repeat themselves. If these problems sound familiar to you, it could be that uh, you are going to be forced to visit a doctor for a professional ear cleaning unless you talk to our friends at WaxRx, where they now will give you the same professional results you want, but in the comfort and convenience of your own home using a physician-developed technology that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup and then soothes the ear with a pH-conditioned formula. And now you can use WaxRx without a prescription, so no more expensive trips to the doctor or wasting time in a waiting room. Try the WaxRx system risk-free today. Just go to usewaxrx.com. That's right, that is all one word. That's the website. Usewaxrx.com. Use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. Usewaxrx.com, offer code radio at for free shipping at the checkout for a real solution to a stubborn problem. Well, speaking of stubborn, one of the things I've been stubborn about over the years is is I often have been accused of saying things that are inconvenient for people to hear. And I will usually respond and have used this exact question many times in my response. What if it's true? Not whether you like it, whether it was warm fuzzy, whether it gave you the vapors, you know, whether it was up with people or down for that matter. What if it's true? What if it's true? You know, I, I didn't really get the warm fuzzies when it was minus nine air temp a week ago here in Des Moines. Minus nine. That was the literal air temp without even counting the windshield. Yeah, I, I didn't want to believe it was minus nine. You know, so I decided I'm just going to believe what I prefer to believe. Go out there and, uh, you know, sun's out, gun's out, right? No, I didn't matter whether I wanted to believe it or not. What if it was true? What if it was true that it was actually minus nine? Well, I should probably dress accordingly. Um, otherwise, I may suffer the consequences. So when I was sent a book literally titled, What If It's True? <laughs> I thought, I've got to talk to this guy. The name of the book, What If It's True? Uh, no, I just, not something I've tweeted 10,000 times. This is actually the title of a book by Charles Martin, who is a multiple New York Times bestselling author. He joins us here today, live and on demand on The Blaze. Charles, how are you? 
Hey, Steve. Good. How are you? Uh, I'm good, man. What I love about the approach of this is that is starting with that as a title. That we we are living in an era where people believe what they want to believe, whether it's true or not, deserves to be affirmed because they just want it to be true. Mm-hmm. And and I love the idea of of starting with the proposition. What if it's true? What if what if things that you don't find convenient at a, at a given time, or that you don't find comfortable at a given time, still might be true anyway? So let's start there, and and taking that approach in a, in in the telling of well, a, maybe the greatest uh, tale ever told. Start with there, Charles. I'm sitting in this. I'm sitting in this. This is my office. I'm sitting in this chair one day, and I was working on my twelfth or thirteenth novel. I, I'm not quite sure which one. And I began having this conversation with the Lord because I've known Him a long time, and I talk to Him about my stories all the time. But while I, while I have this fiction part of my career over here, I also have a Bible study that I've taught for ten or fifteen years, and I have this group of guys that I've done life with. And sort of as I've done that over the years, it's just it just never ceases to amaze me that the king of the universe, the one who spoke me into existence, who, as Hebrews said, is the exact representation of the father who upholds all things by the word of his power, that he literally took off his crown and his ring and disrobed, hugged his father. He said, you need to add some more rooms onto this house because when I come back, I'm bringing some of them with me. And then he like took this swan dive out of the floor of heaven and ended up here in this really humble, gooey mess on a prisoner exchange for you and me. Hmm. Uh, sort of a one-way trip. And I just I'm sitting here, you know, working on novel twelve or thirteen, and I'm like, Lord, if that's really true, and it is, and I mean I'm asking the question because I believe it's true. Psalm 119, somewhere in there it says, the entirety of your word is truth, and I believe that. So as I'm talking with him, I'm like, Lord, I would love to push pause on my fiction for just a little while and write, you know, using the gift I feel like you've given me to tell the story of you and my interaction with you and what you've revealed to me, and would you let me do that? And so anyway, working with my publisher and you know, about two years passed, two and a half years passed, and here we are. So the book that's on your desk started literally with me just sort of amazed and wondering. It's probably not a whole lot different than C.S. Lewis, and I'm not setting myself on Lewis' level. Don't, sure. don't hear that. But yeah. And there's that, whole, that great part in Mere Christianity where he says, let's don't have any of this patronizing nonsense about Jesus being a great moral teacher. He did not leave that open to us. A man who did what Jesus did and said what Jesus did is either a nut job on the level of a poached egg mm-hmm. or he really is the son of God. It's either or, black or white, mm-hmm. no gray. Mm-hmm. And I thought, man, if I could write the stories of Jesus from that perspective, it might shake some stuff loose in us. It might, it might bring people to freedom. When you tell the story at face value, as is, and I think this is the part, Charles, that makes people uncomfortable. It made me uncomfortable before um, I, I was a believer. It provokes a response. It, it is a fairly cut and dried equation. It's an either or here. In this case, it's, it's not an and also. Uh, it's not nuanced. He either is who he said he was or he isn't. 
And and that's the part about this that makes, I think, people uncomfortable because we have, have become worked over philosophically by utilitarian and, and pragmatic style of thinking. And so we right away begin to think of the consequences of believing something and the ramifications of it rather than the the ob, the objective truthfulness of whether it should even be believed and so we kind of try to reverse engineer the outcome here that we prefer and that makes this very challenging to people because you're not left that you're not left that luxury so how did you confront that as a storyteller or maybe you didn't Steve, I don't know that I did. I'm, as you're talking, I'm reminded about the parable of the sower. And when the seed is sown, you know, the birds immediately come in and scoop up some of the seed before it ever even has a chance to take root. And then there's shallow ground and some scorched. And, you know, I look at that and I think that the truth is sown in us. And yet the enemy has a very clear plan to make sure that it doesn't take root, that we don't believe it. We don't have a chance to believe it, you know, whatever. I think as I was working on this, I just, some of the stories came alive for me and I'm like, well, Lord, let's take, for instance, the woman with the issue of blood. This is a a daughter of Abraham, a Jewish woman, 12 years bleeding, spent everything she had, penniless. And yet she finds Jesus in the streets in Capernaum or Capernaum. He, He hops out of the boat. He's walking up the street towards the synagogue, and Jerus, the synagogue leader, comes to him and says, my daughter's sick. Hurry, come to my house, please. He says, okay. And yet here's this woman. And in my mind, I, I mean, Jesus knows she's looking for him. This is not news to him. Mm-hmm. And I almost wonder if he doesn't slow down because there are all these people elbowing him. And Finally, she comes up and grabs a hold. Well, why does she grab a hold of the hem of his garment? Well, if we back up and look at the Old Testament and all the prophecies and all of the the Lord's instruction about what the kanaf was or the hem of a garment and how it represented, like in Psalm 91, his protection and his deliverance. And like when David cut off Saul's garment at En Gedi, it represented the Lord's protection of him. Look in Malachi when it says the son of righteousness has come with healing in his wings. I think that's why that woman was in the street. So she reaches out and grabs a hold of him, and he feels the power leave. She feels it enter, and she's healed from that very moment. But the cool thing I found in looking at that story is that the Lord wanted to heal something deeper, not just her physical ailment. There was something deeper, and that's, you know, she's been cast out. She hasn't been allowed access to the temple. She can't touch anybody because if she does, she's, she's defiled them, herself and them. She's a mess, and yet he brings her back into the fold because he calls her daughter. And I just, I just thought it was a, you know, as I'm sitting here working on it, I feel like it's playing out like a video in front of my eyes. Mm-hmm. And I see the Lord just do this really tender thing with her where he lifts up her chin and calls her daughter. I think he did the same thing with the woman caught in, the, caught in adultery. All these guys bring her in, and, of course, the dude she was with is nowhere to be found, which is typical. And they bring her in and they're tossing the stone like a baseball and saying, you know, let's stone her. What do you say? And he's like, okay, well, any of you without sin cast the first stone. And so they end up all leaving. And Jesus is left in the temple with a naked woman. And yet he's not at all uncomfortable. And he was sinless. And I think it's a beautiful picture of Jesus is not uncomfortable with us in any condition in which we come to him at all. 
I don't know that this, so, so the book's full of stories like that. Um, I just tried to look at it through a storyteller's lens because it's the only lens I have really, if I'm being honest. When you went to your publisher and said, this is what I want to do next, what was their reaction? Interesting. That's a great question. Interestingly, the first time my agent and I put it together, he, and this is right when all the hubbub is coming up about the movies. Cause one of my books was made into a movie with Idris Elba and Kate Winslet. And mm-hmm. so this is like all that's, you know, and then the media and there's this, you know, the Toronto film festival and all that's coming. And so there's some excitement around that. Yeah. And yet my agent and I take it to these publishers and nobody bit, nobody in New York, no, nowhere. They didn't want anything to do with it. Mm. And I, so I said, okay, Lord, maybe it's not the time. And a couple months goes by and I'm driving through Nashville on my way to Colorado. And I text my publisher and I said, hey, Daisy, would you have lunch with me? And she was worried that I was sick or I was leaving, going back to New York or whatever. And I said, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm good. I'm not going anywhere. I just, I want to ask a favor. And I told her about this book. And I told her what I wanted to do, and I, I told her I wanted to write it from the standpoint of what if it's really true that the king of the universe did what he did for you and me? Would you let me tell that story? And by the end of lunch, she had a vision for it, and that vision is sitting on your desk right there. So mm. at first they didn't bite, but then Daisy caught a really cool vision for it, and I'm grateful to her. Mm. Who's the target audience? Every author knows, it kind of has an idea. Who is it that is going to be most likely to be reached or they most likely want to reach with the story they want to tell? Who's the target for this, Charles? Who do you want to reach with this story? All right. I wrote that in the book. I don't know if I can find it, but I don't know that like when I sit down and write my books, I don't know that I ever sit down and say, here's who I'm thinking of. Mm hmm. Um, I don't know that I've ever sat down and said, here's the reader I have in mind. I just, I don't have that ability. I'm, 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 I'm not that good. If you want to know the truth to, to a great extent, I'm writing the stories I like to read or I, I, I pray the Lord wants. I mean, I, I do know this since I've, since this book's come out, I, my book tour started in prison. I was in two prisons earlier this week. Uh, a federal prison in South Florida and then another state prison. It's the the largest federal prison in the country. And then on Tuesday, I was in a women's prison, which is the largest women's complex in the country. And I love the fact that 500 of my books are now circulating through these prisons. I mean, Jesus said it's for freedom that he came to set us free. And although those folks might may be behind bars, they can still find freedom. Since the book came out, I've gotten, I received email from Poland, Romania, Russia, New Zealand, Australia, China, Europe, of people who have, who have or are reading the book. I've also gotten them from like, you know, Birmingham, Alabama. A lady walked into Sam's and saw it on the shelf. So hmm. I don't know that I can tell you exactly. I mean, if you're broken, this book's probably for you. Hmm. Name of the book, What If It's True? New York Times bestselling author, Charles Martin, the author. He's been our guest here today on The Blaze. And uh, excellent job, Charles. Way to let your light shine there. Uh, I would have loved to have been in uh, a fly on the wall 
for some of those uh, publishing contacts, as you described, when you said, hey, this is kind of what I want my next project to be. Uh, and just to, just to, if nothing else, have measured some of the heart rates uh, in the room uh, when you threw that across their bow. And uh, thankful for the work that you did here. And uh, God bless you, man. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. That, uh, that's a great story in and of itself if you ask me, is the story of, of taking this book in the midst of all your other success. And as he said, one of his other books is being produced in a, as, into a movie at the moment he kind of had this uh, epiphany, this inspiration, and then say, hey, and of course, right, that's at a moment where everybody wants to, what's the next thing you're going to do? You're the new hotness, right? He's like, yeah, I, I got an idea. Let me throw this one at you. It was like, oh, the, you know what? But when you when you strip it away, you know, in in essence, what Charles said was, "Hey, here, here's my idea. Let's use as a source material. You guys want a bestseller? You want a bestseller? Let's let's use as a source material the greatest selling book of all time. And stop and think about the fact this guy at, at, at his level of success, he has been on the New York Times, USA Today bestsellers list multiple times." And he says, I'm going to combine my audi- my reach and my audience, my proven ability to sell books, and, and my next source material is going to be um, a story based off of the greatest best-selling book ever. And stop and think about the fact that that would, on, you would think if we remove all of the religious, ideological, uh, iconography, notions, philosophical, if we just strictly said, a very successful author is going to base his next work off of the greatest selling book of all time. If you just looked at it like that, which which publisher would, in their right mind, say, I don't know if that'll work. They, um, we're going to pass on that. Yeah, they'd at least say, talk to me. Yeah, no doubt. And But that's not what they did. That, that that's that, And that's exactly what they, what they were too afraid to touch. So, fascinating story. All right, uh, let's get to today's truth bomb. Didn't intend to line it up this way, but that's the way it's going to work, which is my contrived attempt to sell uh, my latest book, Truth Bombs. Uh, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believe to Our Own Demise, available right now, Uh, but uh, it'd be best for me, uh, and the publisher would be happiest if you bought your copy at Amazon, if that's possible. Uh, And even more happy uh, will be my children, because they're counting on Dad to come through for that uh, Disney trip to Christmas this year which means I'm counting on you uh, in the audience to come through. Uh, you can get your copy at Amazon today. If you like the book, if you have a chance uh, to leave us a five-star review uh, at uh, Amazon.com, uh, we would appreciate that as well. Thank you to all of you that have done so already. Uh, today's truth bomb comes via something yesterday I saw on Twitter. Now, I don't know who David Borman is, but I do know that what he wrote here is brilliant. Social justice today is really nothing more than cultural Marxism repackaged, attempting to resemble the only real modern social justice movements, women's suffrage and civil rights. Yes, that is exactly correct. The number one tactic of the enemy is co-option. That is the enemy's number one tactic, his most preferred tactic. And I think the reason for that is 
the idea, the notion that every great lie has a kernel of truth. Um, since we just were talking uh, with Charles Martin, writing his book, uh, inspired by his own Bible study, we'll quote the scriptures. There is a way that seems right to man. There's, it seems right. It seems right. Feels good. Feels good. I, I was watching on Twitter yesterday. People debate the character and integrity of God and using part of their rationale on, it would seem to me that God would blank. Hmm. So? <laughs> Just, I, 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 you're, I'm, I'm sorry. Your Twitter handle doesn't say God. So I don't know why the rationale would be well, it would seem to me God would not, or God would blank. That's, I appreciate that, you know, and that and 750 will buy me a coffee that's way too expensive at Starbucks. I, I mean, it would seem to me. Did God really say, are you sure? We're just having a conversation. We're just asking questions. We're just wondering. I mean, it would seem... It would seem like this is fair. It would seem like this is right. It would seem like this is just. It would seem like this is compassionate. It would seem like that to whom? To you? Where's your definition of compassion come from? Where does your definition of justice come from? How would you know those definitions are true? And oh, by the way, where do you get off imposing your definitions upon the rest of us? It would seem right. It would seem good. It would seem compassionate. According to whom? Let me let me reset this here. I can pick this up. What if it's true? What if what doesn't seem right to you is true? What if what doesn't seem compassionate to you is true? What if what doesn't seem just to you is true? How would you know? We have a presidential candidate who uh, announced his candidacy this week or last week with a really riveting video. It's really well done. And he talked about our need for civic unity. And then today he went down to the U.S. Senate. I'm talking about Spartacus. He went down to the U.S. Senate and basically said, if you hold certain religious views, you shouldn't be allowed in government. where's all that civic unity at? Unity for me, but not for thee. I'm sure if you were to ask Mr. Booker, he would tell you. It would seem right. It would seem just. It would seem compassionate. It would seem. According to who? According to you. Well, pardon the expression, and I mean this in the most literal way possible. Who the hell are you? Literally. Who the hell are you? Why do we care what seems right to you? Co-option is the enemy's most preferred tactic all through history. Counterfeits. Things that seem right. There's been a lot of debate over the years. You know, what does 666 mean in the book of Revelation? 
Is it, uh, is it a serial number? Um, numerologists have pointed out that it's actually, the, in numerology, it spells out Nero. Is it Tom Brady's winning percentage in Super Bowls? <laughs> it actually is. That's true, too. Here's the problem, and I know for our Calvinistic preterist friends, they love that interpretation. All right. Um, here's the problem, though. In numerology, it also spells out Ronald Wilson Reagan. So there's that problem. That's true, too. It does that, too. So there's been a lot of debate over the years for eons. What does it mean? I wonder if it's a simpler definition than we think. If it's been, you know, hidden in plain sight the entire time. In the scriptures, the the number of completion is what? Seven. Seven. So the ultimate counterfeit, the perfect counterfeit. It would be so close, man. So close. So close. What number's the closest to seven? Six. Three sixes, you get a trinity of sixes. It's so close, man, that it, it, it would seem right. It would seem just. It would seem compassionate. It would seem to me. It's kind of like a demonic spinal tap. Oz goes up to six. Yes. Repeatedly. Over another, like an inverse of John Lennon's revolution number nine. Number six. Number six. Number six. Yes. It, no, I don't, I'm not a theologian. I'm just guessing. I'm not. Don't take that literally. I'm just postulating. You know what? I'm just asking questions. Uh, there it is. See what I did there? Why did that going around these days? And it's no longer relegated to one particular political circle. It's all over the place. That's because we are becoming a systemically, spiritually lost people. So we're looking for the things that seem right, that seem just, seem compassionate. And you can, here's how you can tell it's a counterfeit, too. Can you put that tweet back up there for just a minute, Aaron, for the audience watching us today on The Blaze? Here's how you can tell that our modern, scammy social justice is nothing more than cultural Marxism repackaged. Here's how you can tell. There's, there are two hallmarks of every, every co-option by the enemy. Number one, Revisionist history happens every time, every time. So we just had this whole thing with Martin Luther King Day on our show, and we pointed out that he probably wouldn't fit neat and tidy into anybody's political boxes, even though both sides' tribes are going uh, to posthumously claim otherwise. Uh, but we also pointed out whole parts of his writings and record are nowhere to be found. In fact, is he even referred to as a reverend in most circles today? What's he referred no. to as? Doctor. Doctor, as if he's an academic. He's an academician. Um, he guys, he 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 didn't get a PhD in economics, guys. He didn't get a he didn't get a PhD in kinesiology or quantum physics. Okay, but so we've completely removed from the public note from the public mindset the faith notions. I first came upon Letter from a Birmingham Jail in AP English. I read it my senior year in high school for the first time. It's part of AP English. How many public schools in America today would, would have the, that writing that we shared with our audience a few weeks ago would let that into their curriculum nowadays? 
Probably not many. How many universities don't want you to know because you might start critical thinking. So revisionist history, that's always a hallmark. You know a tree by its fruit. fruit. You want the fruit of a, of a co-option from the enemy? Revisionist history is one. Here's the second. It will always, it will always enslave and punish those it's claiming to free the most. It will always enslave and punish those it's claiming to free the most. Margaret Sanger wrote in a letter, we don't want word to go out here at Planned Parenthood that we're trying to extinguish the Negro population. If by any other means a government-funded program led to the deaths of 13 million people of one particular race. We'd call that a genocide. That's what we call it. But we don't, because this is a co-option. That's what's happening here. The people that are all that are it claims it's helping the most. Last week we had the story of the lesbian who's now not lesbian enough. So she's got a, she's she was the only lesbian on the town's human rights board or whatever it was, Aaron. And and she got Baltimore. kicked off. Yeah, she in Baltimore. The only lesbian got kicked off. She wasn't lesbian enough because she actually still believed in innies and outies. So they kicked her off. It will always punish the ones it's claiming to care for the most. Always end up the worst off. And that's how you can tell when you're being scammed or not. That's how you can tell your movement's been co-opted by the enemy or not. Are you doing revisionist history and are you hurting the ones you claim to love? More in a moment. Fake news are not here on The Blaze this week. Brought to you by our friends at Optima Tax. It's bad enough your IRS problems ruined 2018. Don't let the same thing happen in 2019 as well. Consider what's at stake when the IRS has you in its sights. Your paycheck, your bank account, your business, maybe even your home. You're smart. You know better than to deal with the IRS alone. You need expert help, but who? They're all the same, right? Wrong. Optima Tax Relief is America's number one tax resolution firm. Optima knows that behind every tax problem are honest, hardworking Americans with families, paychecks, and bank accounts to protect. When you engage Optima to fight for you and protect what's yours, you're getting a proven award-winning team, a team who can help stop the aggressive collection actions and help put your IRS problems behind you. That's how Optima has saved nearly a billion, with a B, a billion dollars for its clients. Call for your free consultation while you still have the option to do so. Optima, 800-699-6140. That's 800-699-6140. And now we begin. Fake news or not. And I can't find it in the Bible, but I use, I quote it all the time. And I keep reading and reading the Bible. I know it's there someplace. It's supposed to be in Isaiah. But I heard Bishop say, um, to minister to the needs of God's creation is an act of worship. To ignore those needs is to dishonor the God who made us. It's there somewhere in some words or another. But certainly the spirit of it is there, and that we all have a responsibility to act upon our beliefs and the dignity and worth of every person. Yeah, uh, the reason why she doesn't know where it is, 
Uh, it's because not in there. Yeah. So that's. I think it's an Isaiah. <laughs> but she keeps reading it to find it. I wasn't sure if that was a Bible study or Nancy Pelosi doing an interpretive dance of version of Shvetty Balls with the. It's in there. It's in there somewhere. Hello, Alec. Um, tell us what you baked for us today. Uh, yeah, it's it's not in there. Uh, it's that's not in there, and um, all, everything you just saw there was was fake news. Or if if she's telling the truth that she does read the Bible often, she's really bad at reading comprehension. It's one or the other. You can which one do you think it is, Todd? I just think she's awful, and I apologize <laughs> on behalf of Catholicism once she's, again. She's Catholic. <laughs> Uh, well, she's what they're calling Catholic these days. Uh, you know, it's all, hey, it's all ball bearings these days. If she would have, she should have just jumped out. You know, I know it's in the, it's in the Bible. I know it's in there somewhere. Uh, I've heard the bishop say the other day, it's all ball bearings these days. Yes, indeed. You're right. Thank you, Nancy. Thank you. All right. Clip number two. Is there no room, Mark, for, for Governor Northam to say, hey, listen, I made stupid mistakes in my past. I did dumb things. I, I, Virginia was a, a racist place for a time, but I have made real strides to to move forward and to make up for the things that I did. And I am no longer that person. If Is there room it. for that? Indeed. Uh, there might have been if it was 1884. I, it was 1984, guys. Okay. 1984. Maybe if it was 1884, he could have gone with, would you expect the group in a racist state? You're being way too hard on her. She asked the same kind of probing questions back in the Kavanaugh days. I got it. You know what? Slate called and they're pissed, Katie. You stole yesterday's headline before they could get it up on the site. What I want to know is if this was before or after the panel on whether or not uh, Governor Northam can or cannot moonwalk. Yeah. Gosh. Can he use the fact he was, he's the victim. He's the victim of the fact he was white in a racist state. What'd you expect him to do? What did that guy actually <laughs> say in response to that, by the way? I, if you go, the clip goes on, he, he doesn't, he, he doesn't think, he, I, he basically tries to find a way without embarrassing her to say, uh, I, I don't think that, that dog don't hunt. No, I don't think it's going to work. Yeah. I don't think that, that one's going to work. Um, uh, clip number three. So we're, we're at over th- two on fake news. Yes, very go ahead. clear. And I think the president has been advised of it, that if he signs an, a, an executive order declaring a national emergency and directing the military to spend money that has not been expressly appropriated for the wall or that has not been expressly appropriated for eminent domains since much of the real estate in which they want to build the wall is still privately owned. I think it's pretty clear that a court will stop him from doing that. But he might do it anyway because then he's relieved of the political pressure from his base, which has said he caved on the wall to say, I didn't cave on the wall. I was stopped by a black-robed, life-tenured judge who doesn't understand this as well as I do. So he, he, he might even be able to claim some measure of political victory if he signs the order. How much of that are you buying? Yeah, I was, I was going to – I mean – Part of that is true news and part of that is fake news land. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, he's right about in this political boogie base that we live in that it might. No, and that might. It would provide 
Trump some cover for how long? I don't know. That's just a, that's a psychology experiment, though. That's not I'm not talking about what's morally uh, objectively uh, true or not. But in terms of his analysis, I, I have problems with uh, y- you don't if if there's an emergency declaration for the military to do something you don't need the line item legislation on what it's going to do for now i'm not i'm not saying he should or should not do that but that's just not that's just that's a straw man argument there in terms of what what a um the legalities of a particular emergency declaration he the judge did use a term there and i i've alluded to this when we've talked about this in the past and that's the eminent domain word this is I think people need to understand that if you are advocating the president to sign and issue an emergency declaration at the border, and I'm not opposed to it, but and, and I don't think it's unconstitutional from what I've studied either. But here, I don't. Here's the thing: I don't think it's as simple to do as maybe some of you are being sold. Like, I don't think, and, and I don't even think defying the federal judge is as simple. We talked about this with Josh Hammer at the Daily Wire yesterday, who used to clerk for maybe the most conservative judge in the U.S. Court of Appeals last year. That even if the president says, I'm not going to, I'm not going to obey that federal judge's ruling, he, he cannot build the wall himself. Layers of infrastructure are required. And land is required for that infrastructure to build upon. And right now, a lot of that land is owned by private landowners. I have got to believe. You know, I'm 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 looking at tweets today of people who live in places like Texas who own a lot of rental properties. And with last year's temporary tax cut, the amount of state uh, uh, tax that they can uh they can claim as a deduction has been uh has been capped. And they're getting hammered on their tax bills they're finding out right now. You mean to tell me one of those Texas landowners isn't going to go back to a federal court? And, and, and the, the, I don't think it's as automatic either that the Supreme Court, because first of all, I don't trust John Roberts anyway, but I could see Clarence Thomas saying, I've got some, I've got some private property right issues with this. Like I, I can see guys like Clarence Thomas who voted against Kilo 20 years ago, whenever it was, I could see them come back and say, I'm a little concerned that we're just going to, voila, start taking people's land. I'm a little concerned about that. When there's other options, militarization of the border thing. I, I'm just saying, I don't know that this is as much of a, of a, of a, of a simple formula as people think. And I think the judge is right in pointing that out. I actually disagree with this political analysis. I think if he takes that tactic, he, his presidency is mortally wounded. I've said this all along. And again, I think we have to define what, what and him and I are probably talking about different definitions of Trump's base. If he takes what tactic though, to be clear, uh, I couldn't build the wall. Federal judge told me, no, I tried. Oh, well, and, after, and I, and I back after yeah. watching it go through yes. the court. Well, yeah. agreed. I, yes. now, listen, I, I, for a while, though, Ru- get- Rush is going to do the 87th version of the Democrats are are, are killing themselves yeah. show he's been doing since I listened in the 90s. All right. We know what Hannity's going to say. But so I think probably the judge is assuming that's the base he's talking about. I'm actually talking about a broader group of people 
that are that should be leaning his way politically, given the direction the Democrats are going in. He cannot look like a weak because if your argument is the Democrat, let me give you, let me make it a practical example. You, if you want to make the argument that the Democrats are taking are so far left, and and must be opposed, must be denied power. You can't offer yourself as a weak leader to be the vessel of that angst. If you're weak, then I don't believe you will be that vessel. See, I I need I need the the president needs to make suburban women hate infanticide more than their more than his Twitter account. I'm gonna you're gonna hear me say this a lot between now and in the next 637 days. I'm gonna use this term a lot. He needs to make suburban women hate infanticide hate what's happening at the border more than his Twitter account. If they hate his Twitter account more, he's going to lose, regardless of Spartacus gets elected and Kirk Douglas Spartacus gets gets nominated. It doesn't matter. He's going to lose. But if they hate where the Democrats want to take the country more than his Twitter account, he's going to win no matter who they nominate. That's the fight right there. That's the whole election in a nutshell. Can he make suburban women hate how far left the Democrats want to take the country more than they disdain his Twitter account? That's it right there. I saved him money on consultants. That's the whole battle. So all posturing, all presentation, all policy, all messaging should be directed at this argument. I undermine my ability to make this argument if I'm a wimp. If I'm not a strong leader, because now I'm not offering you an alternative to this. In fact, I'm reinforcing the things about my personality you already don't like. I need you to like me in spite of me. Because I'm probably incapable of being any more thoughtful or likable than I already am. I'm 71. I am what I am. So I need to make you comfortable with it. And I need to make you comfortable with it by proving to you that there are things about my personality you don't like that can be used to your advantage in other areas. And one of them would be the parts about me you don't like are what's going to drive me to stand up for you against them. But if I don't stand up for you against them, I'm not the Clint Eastwood antihero if no banditos die. If, if, we fight, if the music fires up and I come riding in on a white horse, but I never shoot my gun, I'm an idiot. I'm a moron. I'm a buffoon. I'm a cartoon character. I'm a clown. I'm not the anti-hero you'll put up with unless there's a body count. See where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. I have to be a strong leader. Otherwise, I'm a clown. That's the battle. Next clip. The history of our country is a history of people underestimating this nation and we doing impossible things. And so we don't need a president that's going to put down people or divide people. This is really one of those times in American history. I think we need a revival of civic grace and bringing people together. And that's going to be one of the major themes of my campaign. How do you... Um, Reviving civil grace. It sounds great. Yeah. But a lot of Democrats say we are past that time in politics. This is not a let's all reason together. And that the nominee for the party needs to be the kind of person who can operate in that environment. 
Well, clearly, uh, again, my career has been uh, fighting and overcoming very difficult political opposition. But we live in a country right now where we have a common pain, whether Republican or Democrat, from medical uh, care to uh, working full-time jobs and still being below the poverty line. We have so much common pain in America, but what we've lost is that sense of common purpose. And so more than ever, we need uh, a leadership that's going to remind people that we have a common urgency in this country. We have to find ways of putting indivisible back in this one nation. And one of the ways I do that is I question uh, the hiring practices and religion of federal judge nominees this morning during a Senate confirmation hearing to make sure they have the state accepted uh, religious uh, beliefs. Fake news or not there. What do you think? So he's already dropped the ball is what you're saying? Yeah. Yeah, that's utterly fake. I think the guy's a total hack. That's what I think. All right. Last clip. So what do you think about the timing of this? Because I have no way to prove this at all, but this is what my gut tells me. He made such a mess with this infanticide situation and brought so much It made the Democratic Party look very extreme. Onto his party in Virginia and then nationally to say, you know, you're going to deliver a baby and then you're going to terminate the baby as it's being delivered. He supported that. And then just a few days later, this blackface KKK photo comes out. I'm thinking to myself, this might have even been a Democrat. Was who was so revolted by this in Virginia, maybe just shopped it around. Well, so before you think that's far-fetched, the lieutenant governor of Virginia until yesterday was blaming Ralph Northam publicly for leaking his Me Too problem uh, because uh, he wanted to damage him as a potential replacement. And then and, and now he's actually blaming another uh, inside uh, Democrat power broker in Virginia for being the source of leaking this story. Um, so he's actually made two inside job uh, allegations the LG in Virginia has. What do you think? Fake news or not there from Jesse Waters? The if, timing is certainly fascinating. My Occam's razor demands you at least ask this question. Mm-hmm. And not because it's uh, a Democrat versus Democrat and like Steve let off the show, enjoyable, uh, but intra-party warfare uh, this is this is the way it is as likely to be fought as not. I mean, you can't do, even what after what he no, did. We've, you, we've, we've, we devolved from amongst the most meaningful of conversations yeah. we could possibly have as yeah. a culture to among the most meaningless. Right. Yes. I mean, you can't just you have to out him without, and you're not going to out him on infanticide. So it has to be this level of sleight of hand on some level, whether the particulars of whatever Jesse's suggesting are true or not. It's never going to be just this. Uh, uh, this above board last thing. week we were having a to, to to follow up on what we were talking about last hour with you know my discussion of they shall not grow old the world war one documentary that's outstanding um last week we were having an existential world war ii debate where we knew why we were fighting we we knew the lines are drawn we know one side we know we know the amorality they believe in we know where they're coming from and we have a moral obligation to oppose this right we were having a world war ii conversation last week it's all World War One this week. We're, we're sitting out here, and do you know what we're doing here? Do you know what this is about? Do you know why we care? Do you know what it matters? What was in a yearbook 35 years ago and what that has to do with, um, do we now need to go back and count how many black soldiers he served with and if he saved any, how many black people's lives or how many black people he successfully treated? I mean, what, do you know what the point of any of this is? It's just the next it's episode pointless. of Black Mirror, just like That's two weeks exactly ago, right. it was the Covington boys and yes. it'll be a, two weeks will be ridiculously absurd again. That is exactly right. So there's been some uh, potential fake news with Ruth Bader Ginsburg. 
and we've not addressed it on our show because you know, basically it's people talking. Can I do like, this? Nice. It, it's like a death wish, you know. Where is she? Where's she been? Yesterday, the Washington Post reported that she showed up at a celebration of her life. Now, there are no photos of her there. And I, I just want to tell the Washington Post, I thought you did us a disservice with that. That, you know, we're not huge fans of conspiracy theories on this show in general. And they could have dispelled those if they would have shown, uh, instead of a file photo from two and a half months ago with the story, if they, you know, would have, everybody's got a camera on their phone, have the reporter who knows she was there, take out a picture of the camera, if there's no photog there, and take a photog, you know, a photo of Ruth Bader Ginsburg so we can put all these crazy rumors to, to rest. And they didn't do that yesterday. And I thought they, they were not, uh, again, a failure of journalism uh, from the Washington Post yesterday and finally putting to bed all the crazy Ruth Bader Ginsburg stories. Home Title Lock will protect your home's title from home title fraud for just pennies a day. Don't find out when the bills come or you can't refinance or get the HELOC because someone did it in your place, pretending to be you instead. Don't find out the worst way possible. You get a free title scan and report right now via our friends at Home Title Lock. If you're a member of the Blaze family here, they'll give you this for free. It's normally a $100 value. Find out, make sure you can protect your most valuable asset, your own home at HomeTitleLock.com. Aaron, 30 seconds. you have any last words? Uh, I just want to say that last, the second to last story about this being an inside job against uh, Governor Northam, uh, that is not fake news. That's how the left rolls. They Somebody screws up, their heads roll. Except for Hillary Clinton for some reason. Heads tend to roll around her, actually. John 317. This is Steve Dace. On the Blaze Radio Network.